was a maxed out weekend for Verstappen and Imola, and the championship battle with Charles Leclerc has tightened up a bit. We will review the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix and the fantastic weekend for Red Bull and a very rough weekend for Ferrari and all of the teams in between. I'm Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. Glad you could be with us. We will go over the Grand Prix. We'll have a report card for all 10 teams, and we'll end with some news and notes from Formula One as they get ready for Miami. If you like what we've been doing, please subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. It helps us grow the podcast. And if you're new to this podcast, hopefully you'll like what we do. Give us a chance and uh, see if you will also subscribe and leave us a five-star review. All right, there are three major takeaways for me from the Grand Prix weekend. One, Red Bull is back in this fight after Verstappen swept the sprint race, the fastest lap, and the Grand Prix victory. The second thing is that the sprint race may actually be a good thing, and that's really difficult for me to say given that I've criticized this thing all last season. And three, the reports of McLaren's struggles may have just been a one-race thing. All right, Max Verstappen winning everything this weekend was a real boost for the team where reliability was the number one concern as we were heading into Imola. Three races were in the books, and Verstappen had DNF'd twice. He had one pole position on Friday, which led to the sprint race win on Saturday and a comfortable drive to the checkered flag on Sunday. He got a maximum 34 points out of the weekend and included eight from the sprint win, and then the fastest lap gives him a point as well. With Charles Leclerc finishing six, Verstappen has closed the gap in a championship fight, even though it is still a 27-point lead for the Ferrari driver. But it does show something that I've had a problem with sometimes with drivers who sort of have this sort of defeatist outlook when they struggle at the start of the season. Yes, it's going to take some circumstances, but it's not over after three rounds. It is still a long season. Now, I kind of understand, though, like in other sports, you know, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, like there's the playoffs. NASCAR even has a playoff. So if you're struggling early, you can still look at the larger picture and go, yeah, but after three games or three weeks of the season or whatever it is, we're still not out of it. We're still of a postseason, and if we can get to that postseason, anything can happen. Formula One doesn't have that. So you start doing the math in your head, and if you figure that your opponent is going to remain strong all season, you have to do some incredible things to make up for lost ground. So I can understand why guys like Verstappen and Hamilton sort of felt like, yeah, we're not even in this thing. We're not even, you know, there's no way. Look at Ferrari. Look at what they're doing. Three races in, we got 20 to go, and, and there doesn't look like there's any hope. And yes, Verstappen is tr still trailing by 27 points, and that is a lot of points, but is still a long season, and you just do not know what will happen down the road. When Red Bull is on, they do have the pace to go after Ferrari this season. They brought some upgrades to the track, and they showed. They, they do have the pace. There will be weekends like Australia, where even before the failure, Verstappen wasn't on pace with Leclerc, but they are capable of winning a lot of races this season. 27 points is still a good amount. It's still a good chunk of change. But remember at Silverstone last year, Verstappen had like a 32-33 point lead and it was nearly gone after one race. We know what happened at Ed Cop's Corner. Now, before we get to the Grand Prix, I do want to talk about something and that is the sprint race. I may be changing my mind on this one and it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Verstappen got a bad jump at the start. Leclerc had the lead, but he couldn't hold it. Max went on to win and the eight points that came with it. Leclerc got seven for P2. 
The racing, though, in the midfield was great, and it did confirm that F1's thought as to giving out more points in this thing was probably a good idea. I didn't like the sprint race last year. I thought it was a little gimmicky, and I was a big fan of the traditional qualifying. Call me old school. I don't really care. I just I just thought, nah, you're kind of adding uh, just this other layer to the weekend that doesn't need to be there. And I didn't like that championship points were rewarded for this thing. I just thought the championship you know, points had some currency and some value, and I didn't think you'd just hand them out for these little exhibition sprint races. But the reality of it is, is that it was hard to get drivers to sort of take the gamble during the gr- the race that you would want them to take for entertainment purposes. You wanted racing in the sprint race. You don't want a bunch of cars driving around holding their position because any risk did not necessarily come with a great reward. If you're riding in ninth, why go for the eighth spot on the grid and why risk an opportunity where you might spit out, you might go into the gravel, you might crash the car, your engineers and, and mechanics are up all night. Why do that? for just one spot but adding a layer of points all the way down to eighth place allowed for the drivers to go after something even more than grid position and so i have to concede that i was wrong about this i I think it was important to do this in order to get entertainment in the racing up front yeah guys want pole position if you have a chance for the pole position you're going to do that but if you have a chance for the sixth spot and some extra world championship points You're going to race, and that's what we saw. We didn't really see that a lot last year. We didn't really see a lot of good racing battles in the midfield. There were a few, but not a lot. But in this year, I thought we saw some really good battles that that lent itself to the good racing that you'd want from something like this. So that being said, I'm starting to warm up with the idea of this sprint race. You know, we'll see when it goes to Silverstone. I know Brazil is going to be on, on board with this as well this season. But there is one concern I do have. When I was younger, there was a parable that I I remember listening to. It was kind of more of of a fairy tale story, but it was still the same kind of concept. There was a fisherman. He goes out and he catches a fish. The fish talks, and he's so surprised by it. But it's a fish that can grant wishes. And the fisherman wants uh, a better house. And then his wife says, why don't you go back and ask for this? And he goes back and finds the fish. He asks for something else. And it just keeps getting more and more and more. And, and, And his wife just keeps wanting more and more and more until finally at the end he's left with what he had at the very, very beginning. That's what I worry about a little bit here is that the bosses at Formula One may see the sprint race and keep wanting more and more and more. And that is a little bit of a concern. You're selling me on this. Don't get me wrong. You're selling me on this. I like it. I've kind of changed my mind on this. But can we do a sprint race 15 times a year or 20? Is every single stop uh, at a, for a Grand Prix, the promoters of those races, are they going to all want this? And if so, how does that how is that going to look? And how is it going to affect the race itself? I mean, David Croft, for all of his great commentary, once you know said during the sprint race that he wished it would be 10 more laps. Well, how many more laps do we want this thing? I mean, in the end, do we want a second Grand Prix? Like, like, is that what we're looking for here? Or do we want it to be what it kind of is? It's a sprint race. It's a certain amount of laps, a certain amount of time at every single venue. It, it sets the running order. You get some points out of it. Like, we don't need 10 more laps onto this. Do we need it to be all throughout the season? Is every single weekend have to be a sprint race? And maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit here, given the idea that we only got three. They want to go to six. It's not like they're asking for 20. But I'm telling you, the genie comes out of the bottle a little bit. In five or six years, don't be surprised if the sprint race is a little longer, points all the way down to 10th. We're doing it 15 times a year. 
then I'll see its viability. That's what I'm kind of concerned about. I, I don't want to wish for more. You've sold me on this right now. I, I don't want it to be a calendar full of sprint races every single weekend because I don't want traditional qualifying to be something that we look at as a dinosaur and it's ridiculous. It's not the way to determine a grid. No, 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 no. You know, 30 laps around the track on a Saturday. That's how we determine the grid. All right, so let's get to the Grand Prix in and of itself. The Imola was an incredible sight. I mean, the Tifosi strong in attendance, Ferrari leading both world championships. And on Sunday, they were waiting to see if Charles Leclerc could get ahead of Max Verstappen starting from P2 on the grid. Instead, they saw two things happen on the opening lap. One, Leclerc did not get a good start, and Verstappen didn't get a good start on Saturday and was passed by Sergio Perez and Lando Norris. Second, his teammate Carlos Sainz tangled up with Daniel Ricciardo and was taken out on the opening lap. Ricardo had gotten side by side with Sainz as he went up on the curb, came back down, ran into him, and Sainz found himself out early for the second consecutive Grand Prix. Now, I should say that the visibility was insane because there was wet conditions. Everyone started on intermediates, but the track was drying out as the laps were ticking off, and what was holding a few drivers back from getting slicks was the forecast was calling for more rain coming later on in the afternoon, and that did not occur. So with the two Red Bulls up front, Lando Norris was in third until he was passed by Leclerc. Now, there was a really good fight between George Russell and Kevin Magnussen with Valtteri Bottas behind him. Russell was able to get past K-Mag on lap 13 with Bottas fighting the Haas driver for sixth, which he was able to get one lap later. So the track is starting to dry out, and it was Daniel Ricciardo who had spun out and got back to the, gone on to the back end of the, of the field. He was the first driver to put on slicks. He went with the medium tires on lap 17. The teams now were going to at least see one lap of Daniel Ricciardo's work to see how that was going to work out. Sergio Perez came in, Max stayed out, and at this point, a slew of drivers started to come in for slicks. That came around lap 19 of the 63 in the Grand Prix. Verstappen and Leclerc came in at the same time, along with Norris. Perez, who had pitted earlier, was able to pass Leclerc and put himself between Leclerc and Verstappen. So he had to fight off Leclerc, who was within a second of Perez and had to drive through the chicane, but he did get that back up to a two-second gap. Now, there was one incident in the pit lane, and that was Esteban Ocon. He was given a five-second penalty at the end of the race for nearly colliding with Lewis Hamilton coming out of his pit box. Hamilton really struggled with his car. He got lapped by Verstappen, which I don't know how amusing that is, but it was just sort of, eh, it was kind of funny. He never got into the top 10 on, on the race on Sunday. Now, the Grand Prix seemed to be settling in with the two Red Bulls running away, and Charles Leclerc was alone in third place. Lando Norris was not challenging him for that position while he was driving in fourth. So it looked like it would be a podium finish for the Ferrari driver, at least third. But on lap 50, they made the decision to come in for soft tires in an attempt to close that gap with Perez, maybe get the fastest lap of the race, and maybe force Red Bull into the pits for soft tires as well and see if they could kind of reset the, the running for the front with about 10, 15 laps to go, let's say. Sergio Perez did come in for the soft tires. Leclerc was on, the, on his softs was able to get back in the third place. He passed Lando Norris, and then Verstappen came in for softs on lap 52. So, again, with about 10 laps remaining, you had the two Red Bull drivers. They were 1-2, both on softs. Leclerc was third. Norris was fourth. 
Now this is where the Grand Prix gets interesting because Leclerc made a mistake at Varianta Alta that he hit the curb and spun out and now he needed to pit. That came on lap 54. He got new soft tires and when he came out, he had dropped all the way down to P9. He needed to climb back up just to manage the damage of that spin. He had passed Kevin Magnussen, Sebastian Vettel, Yuki Tsunoda, and finally ended up in sixth place. We'll get to that later. But for Red Bull, there was nobody behind him. And for the first time since 2016, they finished 1-2. Norris finished on the podium for the second straight time at Imola. George Russell and Valtteri Bottas had a great battle for that fourth spot. That was really fun to watch given what happened last year when Russell was riding in his Williams and they collided. But in the end, it was Russell who got the P4 finish for Mercedes. It was another dominating drive for Max Verstappen. He won last year by a comfortable margin at Imola. He gained 34 points for the entire weekend. Leclerc managed just 15 with a P6, plus the seven points he got for the sprint race. All right, so let's go over the team report and some of the issues from Sunday's Grand Prix. One, Red Bull. Best weekend in team history. They finished 1-2 before, but that didn't have a sprint race attached to it, and it was a massive points haul for the team. Verstappen was dominant, and he needed it badly. Four races in the books. He had two DNFs, and now Leclerc has a 27-point cushion right now. Now, that's nice, but if Red Bull's reliability issues disappear, and we don't have a problem with that this season, he could close that gap even more in Miami. That's sort of the great unknown right now because we've never raced in Miami. Sergio Perez finishing second said it best. The team made all the right decisions, stayed out of trouble, both got good starts, and Perez was the one that really had to battle Leclerc in the race, and he did a great job. I mean, he put that buffer between you know, between Leclerc and Verstappen, and he did a really good job fighting off Leclerc, who was uh, coming on strong until he sort of spun out, and that ended his attack towards the front. Now, as for Ferrari, we we know the team is under a lot of pressure when they race in Italy, but do not mistake the bold strategy that they had bringing in Leclerc for the pressure of the home crowd. It was the right call to see if they could take the fight to Perez on the softs, that to force Red Bull in and have a go at the front. It looked like a P3 was in the bag anyway, which it kind of was. But trying to get a good run off Varianta Alta to set up a run at Perez after Ravazza uh, down the straight a few corners later, that got the best of him. Now, as for signs, what, I mean, what can he say? I mean, he had signed a new deal with Ferrari and then he crashes in turn one. That's not his fault. All right, there are pressures to win in Italy. When they go to Imola or they go to Monza, there's pressure there. But uh, th this ended up not being a good result for Ferrari, of course. Mercedes. This is a tale of two cars. George Russell started P11, but quickly made his way to sixth. Thanks to the two cars ahead of him getting knocked out and Daniel Ricciardo and Carlos Sainz. He had some of the best battles of the Grand Prix with Kevin Magnussen and then holding off Valtteri Bottas in the end. Those were really fun to watch. And he finished fourth and he gets so much out of this car. He continues to be the top driver on the team because... Lewis Hamilton, again, struggled with his car. So much so that Toto Wolf said that the car was not even worthy of a world champion driving it. Right? So, you know what? It's We know it's undrivable. Hamilton, had, of course, had the near collision with Esteban Ocon when Ocon was released from his pit box. Hamilton finishing P13, never a factor in this race. Never.
All right, let's get to McLaren. The start of the season and the struggles, that seems like eons ago now. Daniel Ricciardo dealt with COVID. The team lacked some real practice for him during the preseason. Um, the team was obviously at the bottom in Bahrain, and that's where all the attention was. But the last few races have shown the team really bouncing back nicely. It was a P3 for Lando Norris. And while Ricardo, of course, didn't have a good result after that first lap incident, he finished P18, which is last after Sainz and Alonso had retired. He started up on the grid after Saturday's sprint race, and I think he would have put in, put in a great result. So things are starting to turn around for McLaren. They've had some really good results in qualifying and some pretty good results in the Grand Prix lately. Let's see if they can keep it going in Miami. Um, as for Haas, Kevin Magnussen scored some points on Sunday with a P9, but it was a difficult race for Mick Schumacher. He spun early, ended up 17th. The team was expecting a better result Sunday from K-Mag. He had qualified fourth in the sprint race on Saturday, but they couldn't hold off Russell or Botas or Vettel or Leclerc, so you kind of get the idea. Still, it was a three-point weekend for the team. They continued to show that they want and expect better results in 2022. That is a mile from where they were last season. So even it's the three points, they probably wanted more, but in the end, it's points for Haas once again. Alfa Romeo, an outstanding run for Valtteri Bottas. He was quick. He finished P5. He made a number of attempts to, at the end, to get past George Russell, but he just couldn't do it. He said it was a fun race. He loved the battles with Russell and Kevin Magnussen. He had a strong finish despite a bad pit stop. You know, we've seen Valtteri Bottas with Mercedes have a few bad pit stops, and he almost got tangled up in that signs Ricardo spin earlier in the race. Zhou Guan Yu finished P15 after starting the race from the pit lane due to an accident on Saturday. The team had some upgrades brought in, and they seem very happy with the 12 points that they got over the weekend. As for Alfatari, Pierre Gasly finishing outside the points. It was a P12. He, he did hold off Lewis Hamilton for much of the race, but he couldn't get close to the top 10. Yuki Tsunoda, though, found himself in a great race. He finished in the points at P7, getting past Vettel and Magnussen for position. It's also a home race for the team. Their factory just down the road. Tsunoda was able to move up five places from a P12 start, but Gasly just couldn't get out of a DRS train that he found himself caught up in. All right, as for Williams, Alex Albon finishing P11. He's pretty happy with that, given the circumstances of the weekend. He was one place outside the points, but couldn't get to Lance Stroll for P10. He did hold off Pierre Gasly and Lewis Hamilton, so that was a plus. Nicholas Latifi finished P16. He continues to struggle with this car. Aston Martin, hello points. After not scoring any in the first three races of the season, Lawrence Stroll's team had both of his drivers in the top 10. Yeah, Sebastian Vettel in only his second race this season after getting COVID. He finished eighth. Lance Stroll finishing P10. Both drivers benefited from the wet conditions on the intermediates, but once it went to slicks, they had to kind of fight for those positions, and they both did a really good job, especially Vettel. He was one of the first few drivers to get in on the medium tires. Mike Crack made a really good point at the end, the team principal, it was them and Red Bull. They were the only teams out of the 10 that had both drivers earning points in the Grand Prix on Sunday. As for Alpine, Fernando Alonso made contact with Mick Schumacher early in the race, had bodywork damage that forced his early retirement. Esteban Ocon finished P14 on a frustrating day. He was penalized five seconds from being released into Lewis Hamilton in the pit lane. That caused him to fall three places after the finish, after the checkered flag waved. It was their first weekend without points this season. Alonso, who has only two this year, said afterwards he feels like he should have had 20 or 30 points already this season, but he just 
Lewis has not had the luck in the first four races of the year. All right, one other bit of news that came out of Imola, George Russell talking about the porpoising in his car. Now, quite now, George Russell's having quite a season, without a question, even though Lee, Lewis Hamilton just can't seem to get the car working. But the porpoising issue with Mercedes is leaving Russell feeling some pain in both his back and his chest. And he says it's the most extreme he's ever felt in a race car. And he does point out that this is just not sustainable this season. Now, if there isn't a remedy for this, I'm kind of afraid that's really going to take its toll on not only him, but other drivers who are feeling that porpoising effect, because we're going to get to a position in where these races are going to start to tick off pretty quickly to get done by November. Now, we know that the mechanics and the engineers will be constantly working to sort of minimize that effect as they gather more and more data at every single Grand Prix. But if they can't and porpoising is still an issue, I'm really worried about what it will do to the drivers when we start going back to back to back weekends. I mean, we're trying to end the season rather early in November, trying to get 23 races in. We're not going until, you know, the, the midpoint of December. And as we try to cram the calendar, I mean, what will this do to drivers if we, they are dealing with the sort of neck and chest pain and back pain that the porpoising of the car is causing them? So uh, keep an eye out for that as the season progresses to see if indeed teams are able to minimize that effect with further development of the car. All right. Now we're going to be heading into Miami. It is a brand new circuit as a U.S. broadcaster. I'm pretty excited to see Formula One back in the United States, but I'm really curious about this one. There's been some controversy. Locals have been protesting the Grand Prix, saying it's just going to be too much noise. It's going to be raced in the parking lot of the Dolphin Stadium, Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami. But again, there's going to be a lot of revenue that's going to be generated from this weekend from all of the people going into the Grand Prix. And once again, Liberty Media is kind of utilizing Miami, Austin, Texas, Las Vegas next season as sort of a springboard for a wider U.S. calendar. And this is kind of the first U.S. expansion since the drive to survive effect, as I call it. And I do feel that I have to point out, especially to new Formula One fans, you know, the U.S. has a very rich history, a long history with Formula One. It has been raced in a lot of places. Las Vegas next year will not be the first time it ever raced in that city. Go back to the early 80s when they raced in the Caesars, you know, car park. And Formula One has been in the United States in Detroit, Dallas, Indianapolis, Watkins Glen. I'm, I'm probably missing a few. But so this but this is the first real expansion since there's been a new audience and a new enthusiasm for Formula One here in the United States. But we, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how this is going to go from a local standpoint, from a city standpoint. They're not racing by the seaside. They're not racing in downtown Miami. They're racing in a parking lot of Dolphins Stadium. It's still a good looking circuit, but it's still a parking lot. But a parking lot that has a fake marina by all accounts on Twitter. So uh, curious to see what that looks like. All right. Speaking of Twitter, you can reach me at, at Tony D Radio. Uh, we will be back for the preview of the Miami Grand Prix, where we will also have top five, bottom five from Imola. We will go over the expectations for the Grand Prix, five things to watch for. So look out for that coming next week as we get ready for the inaugural Miami Grand Prix. Once again, subscribe to the channel. If you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star review. It really helps us grow. Please share this podcast with other Formula One fans because that also helps us grow the podcast. All right, I'm Tony Deziri. Thanks for listening. This is the Overtake F1 Podcast.